welcome to the third episode of the Avalanche Hour. I'm your host, Caleb Merrill. The goal of the Avalanche Hour podcast is to create a stronger community through sharing stories, knowledge, and news amongst people who have a curious fascination with avalanches. I've recently wrapped up my winter ski guiding season down in the Ruby Mountains of Northeast Nevada. We had a great season down there with excellent coverage and overall good stability. I jammed home for a quick reset before Stephanie, Arlo the dog, and I piled into the truck and headed across the great vastness that is eastern Oregon. We were headed for the Tetons, where we found mostly warm and sloppy snow conditions with very small windows of corn skiing. After a few days of wondering why we didn't bring our bikes and head further south, nighttime temperatures started to drop and we started to get into a better corn cycle. We then migrated over to the Sun Valley area in beautiful Sawtooth Mountains where we had continued good corn skiing and even found some good cold snow at upper elevation on North Aspects. On today's show, we talk with Kevin Grove of Bend, Oregon about risk. Kevin talks about some close calls he has had in the Cascade Range of Central Oregon, as well as some of the ways he is trying to reevaluate and evolve the way he thinks about risk tolerance in the mountain environment. I do apologize for a couple blips in the recording. That was due to a slow internet connection at the time of the recording. Here we go with Kevin Grove. So I grew up in Montana, uh, Whitefish, Montana, and went to college in Montana State University in Bozeman where I studied engineering. And I've been in Bend for the past, uh, going on 20 years now. And I teach uh, engineering and physics at Central Oregon Community College. Uh, And I also teach avalanche courses and snow science courses at the community college. I'm also a board member of Central Oregon Avalanche Association. Uh, we have no forecast center in our region, as you're probably aware of, Caleb. And uh, so we're working hard to do the best we can to provide consistent, solid information about weather and snowpack and avalanche information on our website to folks in our community. And uh, uh, two years ago, we started a professional observer program where we're paying for folks and so we're moving forward and making progress toward that front. I've been a backcountry skier and climber for since on well, the early 90s. I started climbing in Bozeman and uh, toward the end of my college started backcountry skiing and have been doing all, both of those ever since. Kevin, I was hoping you could tell us about a few close calls you've had in the backcountry related to avalanches. I'm sure you have a... a quite a few experiences both climbing and skiing in avalanche terrain and and like you've said in central oregon you guys don't have a as of yet you don't have a um organized forecast center it's, it's on its way hopefully um gaining quite a bit of traction but um by and large a lot of your experiences in central oregon you're probably forecasting for yourself i would imagine right we are, yeah. So, uh, you know, we do the best we can with uh, looking at sort of NWACs information that they're from Mount Hood and extrapolating between that and Mount Shasta and then putting together all the pieces from everything we're finding ourselves and also uh, word of mouth. And, you know, and uh, before two years ago, 
um, doing the best we could to get out and figure things out on our own. And, and now that we, we are building this resource of four people putting information out on our website uh, once a week and also posting two summaries once a week. So the information is getting better um, and we still have ways to go. And yes, yeah, some near misses I've had. Uh, I'll talk about three on one mountain in the Cascades on North Sister. I've been talking a lot lately about an avalanche near miss on Middle Sister that I have a video of. And if anybody wants to see it, they can just Google Kevin Grove avalanche. And I put together a five minute documentary showing that and talking about uh, some things that went wrong that day. I also just, I have an article coming out in the latest avalanche review in April. And so I'm, I'm going to talk tonight or today about uh, three different episodes or near misses on North sister. And um, the first one was in 2008, there was a February corn cycle and I was super excited to climb and ski the Thayer Headwall. I'd been looking at this route on the east face of North Sister for, gosh, probably five or six years and, and could never quite find it in the right conditions. And <clears throat> so we had a melt freeze February corn cycle come in. I was super motivated and excited to do this line. The trailhead was about seven months miles out from pole creek which was still quite a ways into the mountain so i took skate skis and strapped my at gear onto my back skated up the road for seven miles and dropped my skate skis off of the trailhead and then skinned the remaining oh i think it's maybe five miles into the base of north sister and i was i was making good time the timing felt good there was sun on the face and uh, I, I booted up the, the East face, the Thayer glacier headwall, And I was on the top about nine 30, which I felt like was right time to be skiing. I was, when I was booting, there was two to three inches of just soft corn. And when I started skiing, the first upper bit of the route faces Southeast and I had perfect corn snow again, two to three inches of soft when I reached about the midway of the route, uh, uh, I, I ran into a scenario where the, the route had gone into the shade. And it's something I hadn't really anticipated and hadn't thought about. And when I hit that shady section, now is also one of the steepest parts of the route. It's probably about 50 degrees. And, and the snow had refrozen. This is February, so the sun was really the softening uh aspect of the snow and so you know and before i realized what i got myself into i'm now on 50 degrees super firm slope and in hindsight i should have kicked you know sidestepped back up to the sun where i probably could have had enough purchase to put on crampons and down climbed mm -hmm. but i just started side i, I started sidestepping i didn't feel like i had enough confidence in even a very slow and controlled jump turn to to keep my edges and it was super scary and so i ended up sort of down sidestepping 
for probably half an hour to 45 minutes and over maybe over five, 500 feet of the steepest part of the route before I felt comfortable enough to make jump turns again. So that was that was one that wasn't really necessarily related to avalanches, but skiing in the backcountry and something to be aware of. Sure. Um, on that same route, a couple years later, I had an incident where I was climbing right around that steep steepest part again. This was later in the springtime, and we're again in a corn cycle. The the route kind of goes up through a hourglass pinch point, and at its narrowest point, there is a runnel, you know, maybe two feet wide by two feet deep runnel where spring snow had been sloughing off and creating this gully over the past maybe two to three weeks. And at one point, I had to be in the gully while I'm climbing the route, so I'm climbing the gully. There was two to four centimeters of fresh that had fallen, so not significant amount of new snow and nothing that I felt like I needed to be worried about. Um, but after getting above the pinch point, the narrowest point, I did get out of that trough feeling like, you know, getting up and left of that would put me in a safer position. And literally maybe 10 minutes later, a slough came down from up high where the sun had been you know, cooking the rocks above and heating up the two to four centimeters of fresh. And it just, it did start a slough and it, it kept building and building as it went down the mountain. And it wasn't a huge slide, but it was all in the middle of that trough. And there was potential where had I still been in that trough, it could have knocked me off my feet. Yeah. Even a small amount of snow in a constrained area, right? Right. For sure. Yeah, it has consequences for sure. So that was a, a second uh, a kind of close call on North Sister. And then the last one that was also related to avalanches, I was um, kind of committed to skiing this line, just slightly lookers left of the Thayer. So still on the east face of North Sister. And there was about 30 centimeters of fresh this, this day on top of a firm base. And to, to access the line that I wanted to ski, I was booting. Uh, again, I was pretty early in the day, probably 8 o'clock. I was booting a short uh, pitch to access a ridge. And then I was going to climb the southeast ridge to get up to this line that I was going to ski. And... Even at eight or eight thirty in the morning, one of those these February days where we had cold, fresh snow overnight, but the warming during the day was much greater, much faster than normal in a February day. I think the high that day might have even hit forty five or something. So the the temperatures were climbing rapidly, and I remember sweating a little bit. And I don't typically sweat in the mountains, so that was a red flag number one and red flag number two was I'm booting this short pitch to access the ridge. I can feel the snow gaining heat and, you know, starting to feel like it wanted to move in more wet slide, wet slab type conditions. And, and my intuition right there was telling me to turn around and telling me that I shouldn't keep going. But, um, 
I think commitment, the commitment of do, skiing the line won over that day. And, and this was also before I probably knew much about intuition or paid any attention to intuition. So I kept, kept moving forward to this commitment of skiing this line, climbed up the ridge, dropped in, started skiing this line. And I remember feeling very slippery where I could feel the snow wanting to move on the bed surface. And I'd made enough turns to where, again, now I'm committed out on this big face. And and now all of a sudden the snow is starting to pinwheel, pretty good-sized pinwheels. It's getting bigger and bigger. And I'm feeling like if I keep linking turns that I'm going to trigger a slide. Mm. So I, I, I slowed down. I started again I started sidestepping. And now I'm I'm out in some high consequence terrain and feeling pretty vulnerable at this point. And so I'm slowly sidestepping, trying not to move the snow around me. And I get to a point where I can ski around some cliffs and essentially get into much more safe uh, more safe terrain and a safe zone. And as I'm in the safe zone, uh, recollecting, collecting my thoughts and, and wondering what I was do- doing out there, uh, a natural avalanche came down, a gully just literally one over, same aspect, same elevations on the same mountain, uh, pretty good sized natural slide came down. And so that was definitely eye-opening experience. Right. And, all right were, were you skiing skiing solo at the time i was i was um by myself in all three of these scenarios which is uh in hindsight you know one of looking back and sort of more honest reflection of some of these near misses one of the things that uh one of the mistakes i was making being out in pretty high consequence terrain by myself right with, with maybe some rapid changing conditions with the weather as well um yeah i mean i mean right you, you can't blame a guy for wanting to be out in the mountains by by himself sometimes and and oftentimes that's the that's when we find the most peace within ourselves um so we're absolutely not trying to pass any judgment there but kevin i i know you've recently become a father and or kind of taking a little bit of a step back in the mountains and or, or maybe not a step back in the mountains but a step back to reflect a little bit about risk and risk tolerance after having your child um can you just talk a little bit about your thinking with that and how how that's changed how you make decisions in the mountains yeah for sure caleb so um my daughter Liv was born this past april and it has really caused me to give pause and I would say do some more honest reflection on past behaviors and um, maybe judgment in the mountains. And I think, you know, most of us, when we've spent a, spent a lot of time in the mountains, we, we run into close calls and near misses. But um, when you start maybe seeing some repeated patterns and some repeated behavioral mistakes. I think that honest reflection has been good for me. I, I never thought of myself as a big risk taker. You know, if I had to, if I, if anyone asked me, 
five years ago, what my risk tolerance was, I would have said medium. Um, but I think uh, maybe looking at this a little more honestly, I would say it was probably high in the high category of risk tolerance. And I, I'm looking at that from a few different angles. You know, I've lost seven or eight close friends to avalanches and other mountain accidents. Um, looking at these close calls and some other close calls, it it does make me um, think that my risk tolerance was higher than I may have perceived. Right. So just maybe trying to take that honest perspective of or honest reflection on on how we see ourselves making decisions in the mountains is is pretty important and but really hard to do a lot of times you get caught up in the moment you get caught up in in amazing skiing or or get egged on by partners you know there's there's a lot of factors there that that influence our decision making for sure yeah it's it's tricky and uh i think uh you know, risk the the fact that there's this tension between gain or loss, and there is so much to gain by adventuring and playing in the mountains, and that's why we're all out there doing it. We we love it, and and yet at the same time, there is this potential for consequences. Right, we have to be able to we have to be able to live with those consequences, whatever they may be. Right. We do, yeah. So some of the things I've been thinking about, uh, looking back at some of these close calls and others, you know, what what were some commonalities? Or what were some common themes? We already talked about being by myself, so thinking about that a little bit more. Um, in all of these scenarios, I was committed to a goal, and so commitment. One of the facets of Ian McCammon's research on heuristic. You know these shortcuts or um, mental shortcuts that we make when we're making intuitive decisions in the mountains, and and um, really that commitment overlying any other feelings of intuition or gut sense that you have that maybe you shouldn't be out there that day. So being committed was another common probably mistake from all of these. Um, and, and again, that's a tough one because I was, I was stoked and motivated and driven and, uh, those are all good things. Um, and then a couple others, just having narrow margins, you know, looking at the line where it was in the sun and went into the shade, I'm guessing there was probably a half an hour window where it would have been good to ski that line. And that's a pretty narrow margin on a big on a big face in, in the mountains. Right. The last one, um, just thinking a lot about how potentially, um, when we begin our mountain adventures and we begin backcountry skiing, our, our perceived risk might be higher than our actual risk. And I think that shifts over time, over time, as we become more comfortable in the mountains, we become more comfortable in the terrain. I think our perceived risk goes down and the actual risk goes up. So um, that, that also possibly being a, a thing in common with all of these, we're just not being honest about the actual risk. Right. I was just 
something that you said earlier talking about commitment to the goal of a ski line or or summoning a peak and intuition just made me think about maybe we need to be a little bit more committed to listening to our intuition you can still use that commitment but but uh you know as you gain experience in the mountains and traveling in avalanche train dealing with different snowpacks and changing weather um really thinking about being committed to what your intuition is telling you i know in my career that's that's evolved over time and i've started to do it more and and that's resulted in making some more conservative decisions but i think it's pretty important yeah, for sure, Caleb. I think also being committed to coming home alive at the end of the day, you know, instead of the goal of summoning the peak or skiing the big line that you were hoping to ski. Um, my Today, my number one commitment goal is to coming back at the end of the day. Yeah, for sure. And talking about those goals with, with your partners, with your ski partners, um, even if you think it's implied, I think it's really important to to voice those opinions and and those those goals for the day and and if those goals aren't aligning with with your partners then maybe you should reconsider being out in the mountains with them and nothing against their goals but um you got to be honest with yourself right yeah for sure that's that's uh that's a really good point having those conversations with your partners is about what it you asking your partners what their risk tolerance is and what are, what are they willing to accept for risk? Um, another concept I've been thinking about is this concept of risk creep where the more time we spend in the mountains, there's a pot potential for our, our risk tolerance to go up. And that, and that could be some overconfidence bias going on where we have 10 years of, of backcountry experience without any near misses and, and we're, we're cruising along and thinking we're making all really good decisions. And so we, we keep bumping up that risk line. And um, again, I mentioned possibly being more comfortable in the terrain. And there's this whole flow component to why we're out there. We often love to find this flow and flow. We, we t- Mihai Chikmatsihai, have you read this book, Psychology of Optimal Experience? I have not, no. Uh, it's a good one, but he he essentially talks about you know flow is this state of being where time passes in an instant. So it's an eight hour day, and it feels like it was five seconds, and it's gone. And and it's where you're doing something that you're really you're you're just so in the moment. And and the two things that you need to find that flow state are uh, when your challenges match your skill set. And so as our skill set goes up we get higher and higher skill set we potentially want or crave higher and higher challenges to reach that flow state mm-hmm. so that can just be another one of those um potential traps that we can all fall into right and i've i think i've found myself falling into that trap yeah i can certainly relate to that as well um well kevin what are do you have any takeaway points for our listeners in terms of um, some of the some of the close calls that you've had, and and you know we've talked about some of the ways that you've you're trying to rein in some of your risk tolerance a little bit in the mountains. But any other takeaways that you have, or 
or any advice for any newer backcountry skiers um, or aspiring mountaineers out there? Sure. Um, you know, I've touched on several of these, but I think the honest reflection of of the risk that you're taking. And, and at the end of the day, I'm starting to have these conversations with my partners about what, on, you know, maybe on a scale of one to five, how risky was our day to day. And so mm. we're having, and, and maybe even ha- and having those conversations before the day and at the end of the day. So we're, we're having conversations about risk and risk tolerance and ideally skiing with a partner you know, especially when you're in high consequence terrain and, and if the avalanche hazard is, is, uh, real and present and increasing margins, you know, something I've been thinking about is purposely lowering my risk tolerance and at the same time, increasing my margins. Giving yourself some other options and, um, maybe paying attention to the time of day or changing weather conditions. For sure. And if a route just seems like it's, you know, too tight of a window for, for good conditions and maybe, you know, going to plan B or another, coming up with another option. Right. There's always a, a right time and a right place to ski something. For sure. Well, Kevin, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing some of your experiences. And, and I think all of our listeners are going to benefit from hearing about, about some of your close calls and, and some of the ways that you're, you're working to um, evolve your risk tolerance. Uh, really appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Caleb. Thanks for uh, working on this podcast. I think it's a great thing. Yeah. Appreciate it. All right. Cheers, Kevin. All right. Cheers. If you cruise over to our Facebook page, you will find a link to a video that Kevin put together where he talks about an avalanche he was involved in on the Middle Sister in Bend, Oregon. Kevin, thanks again for talking to us today. I mentioned in the beginning of this show that Steph and I were on a road trip to get some skiing in the last couple of weeks. We got home a couple days ago, and ironically, that is when the springtime storm finally materialized. We headed up to our local hill with plans on exiting the ski area and go ski a fun little zone. We'll just call it the Pork Chop. It was a pretty short shot with relatively minor avalanche terrain, but it is still avalanche terrain. We often get weird looks riding the lifts of this area with full packs, BCA link radios and all, but no matter where we go in the backcountry, no matter how close or how far, we always have our gear. It's what we do. There had been about 15 to 20 centimeters of dense springtime southern Cascadia pow overnight, and there looked to be a bit of wind loading underneath some behemoth cornices that had been maturing all winter. The steepest part of the pork chop is probably 37 degrees, but it's only sustained for about 400 feet in length before it mellows to almost 20 degrees. Small fir trees choke out the runout. We talked about throwing a ski cut in at the top of the small slope. I skied first and cut out to the left as I noticed a small 10 centimeter deep by 10 to 15 meter wide wind slab breaking out at my skis. It was good information and not too surprising to me. When Steph got down to me, we talked about it casually, but continued down the mellow meadow to the second pitch of the chop that has a fun pitch in old growth dug fir. We skinned back to the ski area and loaded the old red chair that would 
expedite us to our second lap in the adjacent backcountry terrain. We skied down the road and soon found ourselves back on the top of our mini line, looking for access to the goods between the large cornices. After guiding all winter, it is often nice to be in a more relaxed environment with smaller consequences. We looked at the small pocket that I had triggered the lap before, but didn't really give it much weight. I pointed out to Steph where I would ski, and she mentioned she would ski second and to the right of my track. I skied a riblet of snow down to a small pop off a rock and navigated through the dense small fir trees to where I could look back up the slope to watch Stephanie. She saw me stop and dropped in to start skiing. In the middle of her second turn, another 20 centimeter pocket pulled out, a bit bigger in width than the one I had triggered on the first lap, maybe 30 to 40 meters wide. I wasn't surprised, but cringed as it pulled Stephanie down. She wasn't able to ski off the slab and got strained through a couple small trees before stopping about 25 meters down the slope. I heard her yell in frustration, perhaps frustration in our complacent decision making. Perhaps she was hurt. I wasn't sure. I called her on the radio. She said she was pretty sure she had blown her knee out. I skinned back up to her, helped her gather her gear, and assessed her knee. She was able to traverse back to the area and we loaded her in the truck and went to an orthopedic surgeon whom she works with to get it assessed. It looks like her ACL is fully torn and she will need surgery. We made some mistakes out on the pork chop. I often think about what the worst case scenario will be when skiing in terrain with somewhat sensitive avalanche problems. I think, will this avalanche be survivable or not? Will it bury me, or would I just be able to ski off of it? I tend to let my guard down in smaller terrain, or when I am very familiar with the terrain. I talk with my partners less when this is the case. The biggest take-home for me is that even if a small avalanche in small terrain may not be capable of killing you, it can still ruin your day and put a damper on the next six months of your life. Don't get complacent out there, folks, no matter how small the slope is or no matter how many times you've been there. Send some healing vibes to my beautiful wife, Stephanie. Our friends over at Truck Gloves are generously giving away a pair of their M1 gloves to a lucky listener. Like and share our Facebook page and we will randomly pick a winner. If you haven't heard of Truck Gloves, check them out at truckgloves.com. Use the coupon code AVALANCHEHOUR for 20% off your purchase. If you have a story you want to contribute to the show, or if there's a specific topic you are interested in hearing about, please reach out on our Facebook page or email us at the avalanche hour podcast at gmail.com as always if you have any feedback for the show you can reach out that same way music today was by little glass men and the polish ambassador courtesy of free music archive i've been really digging on both these bands check them out our artwork was created by mike t thanks t thanks for all the support and if you contributed to the indiegogo campaign look for your t-shirts hats and stickers soon The swag will be shipping out this week. Keep having fun and stay safe out there. Thanks for listening.